0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I just want to say from the outset of uh, how humbling and how much of an honor it is to open these pages of Scripture to open the pages of the Bible, and to begin to teach, particularly when we get the opportunity to do this at home. Uh, it blesses my soul immensely. Uh, because this is the Word of God. Amen? It's not opinion. This is not church dogma. This is not doctrine of denominations. This is not the tradition of men. This is the Word of God, and more specifically, these are the words of Jesus. You say, well, how do we know that? We know that these are the words of Jesus. Why? Because if you open your Bible to John chapter 15, where we're going to look today, all of that chapter is written in red. (laughs) That's how we know it's the words of Jesus. All of it is written in red. If you look at the scripture there in front of you, if you got a Bible, go with me, John 15. You'll see it on the screens as well, but I'd love for you to see in your own personal copy of the scriptures. John 15, how many of the words in John 15 are red? Anybody got their Bible? I don't see many Bibles, so maybe that's a tough question. How many of the words in John 15 are red? There's not a word that's black. It's the only chapter in all of Scripture where there's nothing but Jesus talk. There's no other chapter. We can't find another chapter in Scripture where it doesn't also say, and the disciples went to the next city. There is no, and the disciples said this. There is no, and they went into another town. It's all Jesus talking, it's all the Savior having conversation, and He is in the middle of a conversation. So what you got to understand is that when we read John 15 in this series called Bear Fruit, it is impossible for us to open up our Bible, stick our finger in our Bible, pick a verse out of John 15, and fully understand it. Impossible. Reason being because it's in the middle of a conversation. So Jesus is in the middle of a conversation in which you must understand the context to know the power of what he's actually trying to say to you and to say to me today. So in other words, let's get the frame, if we can, from the outset of what's actually taking place. We're in John 15. Let's back up to John 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll give you the frame. In John chapter 12, what's taking place? Well, Jesus is in the upper room. This is the last night of his life. He is what we call Monday Thursday. He's going to be crucified by by nine o'clock the next morning. He would be flogged by six o'clock the next morning. And it kind of gives you a little bit of a clue into what's happening in this passage because what Jesus is about to say is super important. It's uber important. It's very, very critical that we understand the words. He's not mincing words. He's not wasting words. Within hours, he's going to be stripped of his clothing. He's going to be beaten to a pulp and he is going to literally die for the sins of humanity. He looks at a ragtag group of young men, teenagers that are surrounding. Can you imagine the confidence you have in your ability to change the world when you know that the only way you're going to change the world is with the 12 men sitting in front of you? And these 12 men hadn't got it all together. These 12 men don't have the pedigree that we think that they should have, but Jesus has confidence that he's going to change the world by what he's about to do. He's looking to his closest friends to change the world, and these are the guys he's saying I'm going to work through to literally change the world. Now we we throw that phrase around a lot, change the world, you know, he changed the world. She changed the world. But these guys literally changed the world. So he's now eye to eye with them. He's looking man to man. Jesus has come into the city the way the scripture told us he would come into the city. He came in on a donkey. He came in on a, a colt. He comes in full of humility. He comes in full of a desire to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If we had the chance, we would go back a few chapters and realize before John 15, Jesus has already surrendered his life. He's already come to the Father and said, I don't really like the path that this is about to take, but nevertheless, I don't want my will to be done. I want yours to be done. So Jesus has come to the Father and said, you know what, I surrender everything. Well, When he says a couple chapters earlier, you know what, uh, um, am I going to pray to you, Father? Save me from this hour. He says, "No, by no means. It's for this hour that I came." And Jesus made a statement. He said, "Glorify your name." So Jesus, now within this context, has just said to his Father, "This plan is going uphill quickly. It's a sharp, steep, you know, hill that I've got to climb tonight. I'm going into the wind headfirst. It's a headwind. But you know what? I'm already predetermined, Father, that I'm surrendered to your plan." Well, then Jesus there at the table, he sitting around the table and predicts his death. He predicts how it'll go down. He predicts the betrayal. He says, one of you is going to betray me. You're going to stab me in the back for 30 pieces of silver. He says, not only that, but another one of you will deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. He looks at them and predicts it, and, and then he serves them. He, he finishes the last supper. He stands up. He takes off his outer garment. He gets a bowl of water. And he kneels in front of men's feet. And he begins to show them a tangible act of his love. He begins to show them a tangible act of his service. The Son of God serving a group of men. And then he makes them a promise. He says to him, the days are about to get crazy. Now that the bride of Christ is revealed the church... The warfare will intensify, unlike it's ever been up to this point in the in the history of of Israel. It's gonna, it's going to intensify. But you don't take worry, take heart. I will empower you, and I will give to you the Holy Spirit. This, by the way, is John fourteen, and He will change your life. And then Jesus sets back down, takes a deep breath, and these words flow off His lips. You ready? If you don't understand that context, you don't need to listen to the rest of my message because the message won't make sense. John 15 only finds its strength in the capacity to understand the framework in which these words are set. And so now Jesus then rolls these truths off of his lips. That's the frame, and that's what brings them life. That's what power comes into them for you and me. So he says in the very first phrase of chapter 15, on the last night before he did the thing that he came to do as he was born, from Mary and his father, ultimately earthly father Joseph, but heavenly father, verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine, and my father, he's the gardener. Now, this is crazy talk. This is crazy talk. This is really incredible if you really think about it. You know what Jesus is saying in front of these men? He's now left the upper room. He's walked to the Kidron Valley. We'll do this next year in May. You'll walk down to the Kidron Valley. He's making his way back up to the place the western side of what he calls Gehenna. And he's going to go to the the Garden of Gethsemane, just at the lower point of, of, of the Mount of Olives. And he sees grapes that are hanging as it's a a torch-lit night, and he's walking through these rows of grapes. And he says, you know what? I know who I am, disciples. I know where I am in the story. I know where I fit in my father's plan. I know what my father's doing. I know my true purpose. I know what's coming tomorrow. I know what's going to happen to me by 6 a.m. I know that. Understand, guys, I got it. I got it. I know what's going to happen tomorrow at 12 o'clock when the earth turns dark. I know it. I got it. I know my place in this story. I know where I'm at. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm about to face. But listen, guys, I want you to know, because you're going to be scared tomorrow. I want you to know, that I am the true vine. And I want you to know that my Father, He is the gardener. What's He saying? He's saying to the disciples, I am the true source of life. I am the real source of life. There's going to be a lot of people that will come to you over the next few months and years of your life, and they're going to try to convince you that they are the source of life. But they're not the source of life. I alone am the source of life. They're going to try to tell you that they are a vine. They're going to try to tell you that they are something you can tap into to find substance for life. But I'm going to tell you, I alone am the source of life. And my father's role, what's his role? My father's role is the gardener. He's in charge of my life, what's Jesus saying? The Father's in charge of my life. He's in charge of my destiny. He's in charge of all of me. He's in charge of my future. He's in charge of what's about to take place tomorrow. In other words, all that is about to happen to the true vine, Jesus, is being orchestrated. So don't don't, don't miss out here. It's being orchestrated by my Father, who is the gardener. Jesus, in about eight words, is saying, everything is under control of the Father, and I'm just a vine in the garden, Of my father. You say, Craig, why do we start there today? That's where we start this morning because Jesus is now going to turn the tables. And he's going to turn the tables on the disciples and he's going to turn the tables on you and I. And he's going to invite us into the story and he's going to invite them into the story. But the way he invites us into the story and the way he invites them into the story is he does it by saying to us, That's who you are as well. That's who you are as well. You are a branch in the garden of your father. You are a branch in the vineyard of God. Oh, that sounds a bit weird, Pastor Craig. I'm a branch in the vineyard of God. I thought I had a little bit better hopes and ambitions and aspirations than that in life. Can I just go ahead and tell you, there there are no other hopes and aspirations in life that are higher than the calling that God has on your life to be a branch in the vineyard of God Almighty, who is your Father. There's no higher dream. There's no higher aspiration. That's who you are. You are a branch in the vineyard of God. And that's what God is doing this morning. He's looking at you in this sanctuary and he's saying, you are a branch. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to connect you to the vine. And he, the Father, is trying to tend to your life like any good gardener would tend to your life. To do what? What does the gardener want to do? To produce the best possible outcome through you to produce fruit, to produce amazing fruit, to produce real, lasting, significant, meaningful fruit through your life. And Jesus is the vine giving you life, and the Father is the gardener making sure everything in your life works right. He's making sure everything works right for you to be and to do the best that you can be and do in your life. So Jesus invites us in, and He invites us in in two ways. I'm going to divide John 15 into two acts. Those two acts will contain the two invitations. It's two acts. Here's how we're invited to the story. Let's read the text. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener, verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The picture's like any other gardener, right? Any gardeners in here, by the way? Just show of hands, any gardeners? Okay, cool, we got three gardeners, fabulous. Anyone want to be a gardener? Anybody want to be a gardener? Anybody know a gardener? Anybody ever been to a garden? Anybody ever seen a garden on your iPhone? Okay, cool, all right. Anybody ever bought something from a garden? There we, there we go. So, a gardener. What does a gardener do? Gardeners are always looking after the fruit. They're always looking after the plants. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do as a gardener? You're out looking on the patio. You're out there looking at the garden. You're making sure nothing, last night, no animals came and ate what you planted. And you're making sure the deer had a deer-resistant mix. And you're making sure that the wildflowers are blooming the way. And the apple tree is working the way that you planted the apple tree. You're making sure that you're thinking about the weather. And you're thinking about the forecast. Nobody else in your church cares about whether or not the rain table's up or not. But you are. You're looking at the water table. You're looking at every aspect of the water table. You're looking at the nutritional supplement in the soil. You're wondering the pH of the soil. You're, you're looking at the rain, you get out of work and you go prod around and you poke around and you dig around and you root around and you, you spend all evening until it gets dark working in the garden. You don't plant a garden and go on vacation for three months and hope that you come back and have a whole bountiful harvest of vegetables on your kitchen table. You don't do that. What you do, come on somebody, I'm already preaching. What you do is you understand that gardeners are working it day after day after day. They're making sure every condition is perfect to produce the most fruit. God is saying that to you. I want to be that in your life. I want to be the daily person in your world. And here's what I want to do every day. I want to check the soul of your heart. I want to check the soul of your soul. I want to check the soul of your mind. I want to check and make sure that it's moving in the direction that it needs to move and I want I want to check the water conditions and I I want to check the conditions of your heart. I want to check the weather around you and the environment that you're placed in and I want to check on you Craig and see how you're doing in your heart, not how you're doing in church ministry, but how you're doing in your relationship with me and and I want to check all of the items out. I want to check the weather other issues out. And I want to check the nutritional supplements out so you can do something meaningful with your life, Craig. And by the way, Craig, if you don't bear any fruit, um, <clears throat> I'm going to snip that branch off of you. And here's the kicker. That would be cool if he'd stop there, but he doesn't stop there. He says, even if you do bear fruit, Craig, like if you're really having a good season, I'm gonna snip some more off of you because that's how you bear even more fruit and that's how you bear even better fruit. I don't know about you, but I've read this text so many times, I've preached from it 30, 40 times. I've read it so many times and I've thought, you know what? I don't want to be that branch that gets snipped off and theologians differ about the meaning of what that branch is. I'm going to give you the two meanings it could be. I tend to lean towards one more than the other. But what does it mean to be a branch that bears no fruit that gets snipped off? It means, number one, people who thought that they knew Jesus, but they never knew Jesus and they never bore fruit. And so when they make it to the end of the day, they will be like a, 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 a branch that will be snipped off. God will throw them to the wayside and they will burn forever in eternity. That's that's the one thing. The second thing is somebody who knew of Jesus but what they knew of Jesus was not enough to transfer the life of the vine into their own heart to produce some type of change inwardly that shows to the rest of the world that they are truly connected to the vine. It doesn't matter either way. The question is, or the reality is, you want to make sure there is some fruit in you. You want to make sure some fruit's coming forth. Gardeners are always looking for the fruit. Jesus is saying, I want to invite you into the true vine. And when I invite you into the true vine, I want you to birth Fruit. I want to birth fruit in and out of your life. Jesus, by the way, here is not really messing around. He's about to give his life in the next morning. He's not tiptoeing around, thinking like we do in our culture. You know what? I hope I don't hurt any feelings tonight because I'm going to die tomorrow for the sins of the world. So he's getting really to the core of the message, and he says, "Hey guys, here's how you know if you're in me and I'm in you. You want to know? You want to know how I how you are to know if I'm in you and you're in me and you're connected to me? You will bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit," You will be a branch that will be snipped off and thrown off to the wayside, and you will be put in a pile that will burn up at the end of the day. What does that mean, Pastor Craig? That means you and I don't want to put our hope in what we have been deceived into putting our hope in in America. You know what that is? I made a decision. I made a decision. Remember that? Have you made a decision for Christ, brother? Yeah, I made a decision. I was eight years old. I was a Juanus. We were at the Southern Baptist Church down the road, and they put some things in a, in a blender and blew it up the blender, and all the kids went ooh and ah, and, and then they asked me to come forward and, and fill out a card. I made a decision. You made a decision? Well, everybody I talk in our culture's made a decision, but I don't look at heaven one day and look back and say, I made a decision for you, Jesus. In fact, when I make it to heaven one day, if there are pearly gates, I don't think there are, but when I see Jesus face to face and I walk into heaven, I'm not going to walk in and say, Hey, God. Uh, coming up to the plate is Craig Mosgrove. And I know that I'm here because I made a decision when I was eight years old. No. The way that you know you are going to go into the presence of Jesus into a forever that's full of his praise and his glory and his wonder is because there is fruit in your life. There is fruit being born through your existence. And there is evidence in your life that God is at work in and through your life. That's how you know you're connected to Christ. That's how you know you're really in the true vine. That's how you know if you really have the life of the vine flowing through your veins. So if you're here this morning, you're streaming live, and there's no fruit this morning, and it's been two months, and it's been four months since you made a decision, and it's been two years since you made a decision, or it's been 20 years since you made a decision, and you're counting on the fact that when you make it to heaven, you're going to say, I made a decision for you, Jesus, when you're 12, or I made a decision, Jesus, way back when I was 25. I wouldn't be banking too much on that statement, because he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Branches with no fruit get cut off and they get piled up by wayside. Jesus is saying, so so listen, so listen, I want to invite you into the true vine and I want to birth you in and out of me as a branch in the vineyard or the vine called the son of god. And I want to birth in you the life or birth you into, I should say, the life of a father who will garden you and who will tend to your life, not to hurt you, but to help you become everything that matters in this world. That's what Jesus wants. So it goes on in verse 3. And he says in verse 3, a beautiful text. We looked at it again last week. If you'll follow, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. That word clean literally means prune. You're already pruned because of the word I spoke to you. Verse 4, but remain in me as I also remain in you. For no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, Jesus says. So act number one in this chapter is remain in me. It's point number one in your card. Remain in me. That's act number one. Remain in me. That's God's invitation to you and me. Remain in him. That's how life works. Remain in him. That's how the kingdom works. Remain in him. That's how we walk with God. Remain in him. That's how we live lives that matter. Remain in him. That's how we have fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. Remain in him. Remain in Christ. Is that not awesome? Isn't it awesome? Not get a long list of stuff and try, 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 strive, 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 do all that you can. Keep every jot and tittle of the law. Do all that you can to strive and stay in me. No, no, no. Just remain in me. And remain's a cool word. This title is re colon main again and 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 again. You know why it is? Because what does that prefix re- mean on main? If you put re- at the beginning of any word, what does it mean? Anybody? Do it again. It means do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. That's what re means. Do it again and again. The title of this message is Remain in me. The word is Stay in me again and again and again and again and again. Jesus is saying to the disciples, stay in me again and again and again and again and again. If you are inside of me or outside of me, you can't do anything meaningful. So make sure you again and again and again and again and again and again and again stay in me. And then when you wake up tomorrow, you got to again and again and again and again stay in me tomorrow. And you wake up the next day and you again and again and again and again. Again, stay in me. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again. You remain. That means you do again the main thing. Remain. Do again main. That's remain. Do again main. What's the main thing? The main thing is to stay in the main one, Jesus Christ. So he says remain in me. Do again, and again, and again to stay in the one who is the main one. That's what remain means. And I have to make sure that I do that again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. and again. There's no way around that, and you think that we'd all get that by now, don't you think? We as humans, surely we would get that by now. We would wake up and go, you know what? Wow, today's Sunday. I must stay connected to Jesus. I must stay connected emotionally. I must stay connected mentally. I must stay connected spiritually. I must stay connected truthfully. I got to lock in on Jesus today. You'd think we'd get that 10 years of following Jesus. I got to lock on to him. I got to sink my life into him all day, every day. But we aren't like that, or at least this preacher's not like that. I tend to, I'm prone to wander every day from remain, me. You think I'd wake up and think, I've got to, I, if I'm going to do anything in life, I must mentally, emotionally, physically, everything must be locked into Jesus. And Jesus says to the disciples, if you want to do what God has created you to do, you have to remain in me. Again and 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 again. And again. That's how you do anything great, right? Malcolm Gladwell, what does Malcolm Gladwell say? He calls it the 10,000 hour rule. He says to be great at anything in this culture, you have to do it for 10,000 hours. Some of you are like, okay, I'm gonna change my life assignment because I don't wanna do anything for 10,000 hours. And the response to you today is you will never be great at anything then. You must put 10,000 hours towards something to be great at anything. The greatest people on the planet do things again, and 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 again. The greatest pianist in the earth. You know who she is? I looked her up. Martha Ardrich. Martha Ardrich sells out within two or three minutes of opening up a concert. And she can sit down at the piano. I listened to her this morning. She can tie one arm behind the back, and she can sit down at a piano, and she can wear that thing out. She will floor anybody, anywhere at any time, and their mouths, their jaws will be on the floor, and she literally can can literally floor anybody. One arm behind, the crowd will go wild. And you know what she does the next day? She practices like a crazy person for 10 or 12 hours, and she's doing it again and again and again, and she is remaining the greatest pianist on earth. She's remaining. She is again again and again and again and again and again and again and again doing it. I remember reading several years ago Andre Agassi's uh, biography. Andre Agassi, debatable, greatest American tennis player of all time. It's a debate there, but he's one of the greatest American tennis players ever. He won a major. He won money. He won fortune. He won fame. He won a lot. He tells in his biography of how his dad, when he was four years old, moved to Las Vegas. His dad was an Olympian of another country. He had two boys. He determined that one of his boys would be a pro athlete. He just said, it's going to happen, bottom line. So his dad, at four years old, he created outside there in the desert, outside of his house, a tennis court. And he made a tennis court with his own bare hands, and he made a net, and then he made a big, huge machine. Because for this four-year-old, it wasn't good enough to buy a machine. He wanted to make, hand make a machine, so he handmade a machine. And Andre talked about it being the monster machine. He said this big monster machine would be set up, and you know what he did? He made his son at four years old. He determined, he said, Andre, you're going to be a professional tennis player. So he built this ball machine. The ball machine sent balls at 115 miles per hour at four years old. 115 miles an hour, he would send over 5,000 balls per day to a four-year-old and the four-year-old would sit out there and he said to Andre, he said, whether or not you are naturally gifted or not, if you will hit 5,000 balls every day from this day forward for the rest of your life, you will be a professional tennis player, whether or not you're gifted or not. Now, we'll never know if Andre Agassi was ever naturally gifted or not because for the next 15 years of his life, he hit 5,000 plus balls a day from this monster that was throwing out balls at 115 miles an hour, a- and literally he hit every one. He tells us in his in his biography that he mastered the mishit, and the mishit was where he would hit it over the top of the fence, would go into the dust so that he could take a break from this monster for a minute and actually wipe his brow, pick up the ball, and come back. But if his dad saw him do it on purpose, then he would have to hit 1,000 more balls. So he mastered the mishit to hit it perfectly off the top of the fence to go into the desert, so he could get a break. And that is why he would wear you out on the tennis court. That's also why he said in his book, I hate tennis. <laughs> and you know what he said on the next line? I'm not kidding. He said, The, the, the sport I hate the most in life is tennis. But the principle's true. The only way to be great is to do something again and 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 again. Again. And the principle for us is not you got to do a lot of good things and work really hard to achieve something for God and try, 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 try. No, don't. It means the opposite. It means over and over and over and over and over again you must remain in Him. Over and over and over again, you must be connected to the vine. I'm linked to the source of life. I'm linked to the power source of life. I am in him, and this remaining thing in him is a very powerful thing. It's a very powerful thing. Look at verse 4. So powerful. Jesus makes this statement, Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. And if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, and he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. For this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing or proving yourselves to be my disciples. Now, verse 7 gives people trouble. Leave it up just a minute. It gives a lot of people trouble. Because you have thought, you know what? I've tried that before, and it didn't work. God, you said that this is the reality. If my word's remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I've tried that before and it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Something must be wrong or I'm defected. Well, you need to understand the framework of this text because there's two of these in the text. In just a minute, he's gonna say it again. He's gonna say, whatever you ask of me, it will be given. So I can't skip over it as your pastor to not tell you about what that actually means. If Jesus two times out of the, both sides of his mouth, says everything you ask will be given to you. We've got to understand what's he talking about. Jesus, what in the world are you saying here? He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. In other words, if you've sunk your life into the soil of Jesus and you've locked in Jesus Christ, and all of you is in all of Him, and all of Him is in all of you, and you've rooted yourself in Christ, and all of you is in Him, and then you are all—all all of your identities found in Him, and all of your joys found in Him, and all of your your substances found in Him. And then, secondly, you take the words of Jesus and the truths of Christ, and you put them in you and place them in you. So now, what's happening? You are a cylinder of Christ. You are a circular cylinder of all that you are is all that Jesus is, and all that Jesus is, is all that is in you, and you have now taken the words of Jesus and sunk them down into your heart so that when you are pricked, you bleed his words. He says, then what will happen is when you start praying, I bet you'll see every prayer start getting answered. That's what he says. I guarantee you at this moment, you're going to start seeing a prayer force behind your prayers that really begins to shake the situations around you. When you start asking God to do things from that position, being in him and his words in you, you will see God move in power in your prayers like never before. If you're sitting over here, though, look, look. If you're sitting over here and you're in you, you're in you. I I, I didn't say you're in him. You're in you. And you're in your dreams, and you're in your ambitions, and your desires and you're not remaining in him, and you saw a verse in the Bible, and you picked it up and took the verse from over here in this position and took it over to that position, and you say, God, I want you to do X, God. He'll say, you know what, Pastor Craig? Ah, I like to hear that. That's awesome. You like for me to do that. But um, how about you, uh, why don't you go back and remain in me and, and then let my words remain in you, and then we'll talk again. Because he's confident that if I'll do that, when I come to talk to him again, I'll talk like him. And my prayers will get answered. My prayers will have power behind them. Listen, I'm not saying everything you ask is going to come true, but let me tell you something. I want to say it with boldness and confidence. If you want a power source in your prayer, it won't come from getting louder. And it won't come from getting more flowery with your words, and it won't come from you having more theological language. It happens when you have sunk deep into Christ, and you have sunk Christ's words deep into you, and you find yourself aligned with his heart in your world, then your prayers have force behind them that literally shake heaven and change earth. It's true. He goes on in verse eight. This is my Father's glory. You bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What's the point of Act One? You ready? Point of Act One, here it is. Life flows from a position, not from performance. True life flows from a position not from performance. You don't get the right result from performing hard for God. You get the right result from being in the right position with God. And the most dangerous thing in American Christianity is there are people who are filling up our churches in this city and around this nation that they get out of church today and they think, I need to go out and I need to perform really hard and I need to bear fruit and I need to do some things for God. Let me tell you something, changing and touching the world. If you ever find somebody that really changes the world, if you ever find somebody who really touches the world with their life, they don't happen because we perform right. They happen because we are positioned right. We link up and we take residence with with the true vine, with the living vine, Jesus Christ. And he says, Apart from me, not only can you not just do one or two things, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to remain in him. We have to make the main thing the main thing. Listen to me. You don't have to strain to produce fruit, you remain to produce fruit. You remain. Fruit comes. When we remain in Christ, it comes. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says in verse eight, go back there, God is glorified in it because the point of the fruit, look, everybody say fruit. The point of the fruit is to make what? The heart of God, his love and his mercy and his compassion and his grace and his hope to make that tangible and to make that enjoyable and to make that accessible to the people of the world. That's what fruit is all about. Listen to me. John 1, the word made flesh dwelt into the neighborhood, came and lived in the neighborhood. The word became flesh. Listen, it's, it's only the word made flesh that is the gospel. The deed without the word is dumb and the word without the deem is empty. It's the word made flesh that changes lives. It's the word made flesh that transforms. Listen, I don't, I don't know a lot about fruit. I really don't know a lot about fruit. But I know, I know this is red and i know this is green i do know that and i personally prefer green I, that's my personal i prefer green anybody else here prefers red anybody you prefer red Tim yeah okay cool cool right there so you prefer red so mm. that's great Where do you think this apple came from? A tree. That's good. Where do you think the tree came from? Seed or an orchard? Where do you think the orchard is? How many think it's possible that this apple came from Washington? Washington. I think it's very possible because I know I bought it. It's <laughs> Very likely, somewhere in, in Washington State right now while you're sitting in this seat is an apple tree. An apple tree that means absolutely nothing to Craig Mosgrove. Nothing. means nothing. I, I'm sure it's a lovely tree. I'm sure its root structure is fantastic. I'm sure if we took a trip there after church, they would say, "Woo, Pastor Craig, look at that root structure. Do you see the symmetry and canopy in this orchard? Huh. It's made for translucent people like you. Shade everywhere. Man, that look at that tree. Man, check that bark out." Man, look at that bark. That tree's got some good bark. Woo, fantastic structure. And you will say to me, uh, Pastor Craig, I think you're missing the point. The tree is only good to me if it produces fruit, and when it produces fruit, the life of the tree becomes tangible and enjoyable and accessible and real to me. Even though the tree is in Washington, and even though I've never visited it, and even though it's in an orchard that I'll never know about, I can go, "Mm, that is good, and that is good for me. Thank you to the tree in Washington that I've never been to, that I probably will never be to, I never visit, that I've never seen, because you, tree, made the life of the apple that was in your veins all of your life since you put. they put you down in the soil 22 years ago. You made the life and the taste and the nutrient and the power and the beauty of the apple become real to me. Thank you, tree in Washington. Let me tell you, that's exactly what God is doing in you. You are a branch in the vineyard of God. You have no idea who will eat your fruit for the rest of your days. You have no idea who needs to take a bite into the very heart of God. Your father is the gardener. You are a branch in the vineyard of God. And his plan is that the people of the world will be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. And how will they do that? How in the world will they know he's good? You will bear the fruit. You will be to them the expression of the love and the grace and the mercy and the hope of God. And they will reach out and take hold of whatever expression comes through your life. They will take hold of whatever's been offered through your life and they will bite down into the very heart of God and they will say, thank you, thank you. Oh, I praise God, but thank you because you are the first person that's made God real and tangible and personable to me and this is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. It is not the Father's plan for you to strain, strain, strain for 50 years of following Jesus. And you strain and you try and you do everything you know how to do and you work all over time and you give it all you got and you produce a single tangerine or orange. You go to heaven and you're like, whoop, there you go, God. He said you wanted fruit. He's gonna say, "That's it, um, Craig." I don't know if you knew this, but 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 that world you just lived in for for seventy years, um, it's kind of big, and I was kind of hoping that you would produce a bountiful harvest of fruit because because I love vulnerable people, and, and there's a lot of needs, and, and I kind of thought that the way the world would be won is that all of those who are in me would remain in me and would bear so much fruit that everybody in your nation was saying, woo, she is a fruit-bearing machine. We are called to be fruit stands. We are called to bear fruit in magnanimous amounts. I was hoping, Craig, you you would have harvested and brought forth a harvest of a bountiful fruit. And they look at your fruit and say, man, God is good. When people in Woodstock look at your fruit and you got fruit being born in your life, you know what they'll do? They'll finally say he is as good as you said he was. He really is. They'll say he does what you says he can do. They'll they'll finally say, look, he's doing in me what you said he did in you. And I wanna thank you that you bore fruit in my life. I wanna thank you. Every life change story I've ever heard, I've been in ministry 12 years, every life change story I have ever heard and I've heard thousands Every life change story I've ever heard starts out this way. When she came to our company dot, dot, dot. When he, when we moved into that neighborhood and we met so-and-so dot, dot, dot. When when I got into that class at school with so-and-so dot, 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 something changed. When I started running in that group with so-and-so and we started running every Saturday morning, that's when Jesus became real to me because the fruit in that guy's life was tangible and was real and was accessible to me and I finally couldn't handle it anymore so one Saturday morning I reached out and took hold of what he was expressing through his life and I took a bite into the the very heart of Jesus Christ and his message of hope and I'm giving God the glory but I'm thanking you brother for the fruit you bore in my life. Act one, remain in me. Act two, remain in my love. So look, next section, this is crazy stuff. I don't have time to go into all of it because this chapter is so awesome. So since I don't have time to go into all of it, I wanna read it and summarize it real quick. Can I do it? Follow with me. Look at this next verse, verse nine. Jesus says, act one, remain in me. Act number two, remain in my love. What do you mean? He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. (laughs) Go back. This is crazy talk, y'all. This is crazy stuff. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. On a scale of one to a thousand, how much do you think the father loved his son, Jesus Christ? Five thousand? A million thousand? You can't even measure it off the scale? You can't even measure it kind of love? You believe that, right? Of course you believe that of course you believe the Father loved the Son because the Son was never against the Father the Son never did anything against the Father the Son never did anything wrong against the Father the Son was in perfect harmony with the Father the Son never did anything outside of the Father's desire and what He saw the Father do He was always in subject to the Father He put His life in disposal of the Father the Father's disposal of course you believe that God the Father loved the Son that much He's you're always serving the Father He was always in harmony with the Father but Jesus said as the Father has loved me and the way He has loved me So have I loved you. So listen, on a scale of one to a thousand, how much does Jesus love you today? Five thousand? 1,000,000, throw away the scales, you can't understand it, kind of 1,000. How much does Jesus love you this morning when he looks at your life? Throw away the scale, you can't comprehend it. God loves you. Christ loves you in the same way that the Father loves Christ. This is the point, by the way, where you put down your Bible and you say, you're gonna have to give me a minute. I gotta go praise God for a minute. I'm sorry, I don't know how to think this through. I need to take a jog. I need to take a walk. This is not, hey, I'm sitting down for a bible study let's get out a highlighter and oh that's kind of cool just like the father loves the son he loves me this is like no this is crazy stuff either you leave that in or you take it out but if you're going to leave that in jesus john 15 then my life will never be the same past verse 9 my life's done being the same this is crazy talk y'all this is not pious talk This is the father loves Jesus in the same amount that the Jesus or the son loves you. That's hard then to keep your hands in your pocket during worship songs. It's really hard. What's happened is you've not remained in his love. You, You have totally picked up your roots and went to another vineyard. And you try to attach yourself to a soul that's not really the true vine, hoping to get all your enjoyment and satisfaction from something that will not satisfy you. And I tell you, it will never satisfy you until you get your roots back up and you go back into the vineyard that is Jesus Christ. And you remain in Him and you remain His love and you keep on again and 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 again falling into His love and again and again thinking about His love and again and again remembering His love for you and you wake up tomorrow and you again and again and again and know His love and meditate on His love and realize His love again and again and again and again and again. Now remain in my love. You've got to be kidding me. God loves me this much. Jesus loves me that much. I am loved by Jesus in the same way that the Father loves the Son right now. (sighs) You you say like I do. That's powerful stuff. Yes. But it's not powerful enough. Because look at the very next phrase. Now remain in my love. So we got two statements in John 15. There's the two acts, two parts, remain in me, remain in my love. Again, and again, and again, what does that mean? Again, and again, and again, fall into my love. Again, and again, and again, remember I love you as much as the Father loves me. Again, and again, and again, tap into my love for you. Again, and again, walk in my love for you. Again, and again, and again, wear that love on your sleeve. Again, and again, and again, walk out that love in the world. Again, and again, and again, act out of that. Again, and again, and live out of that identity. Again, and again, and again, again, realize that I love you that much. Remain in my love. He goes on to verse 10, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Time out, Jesus. Oh, it was a great love story, but I knew you would do it, Jesus. There comes your commands. It was a great love story, but there they come. He's always he's always turning, you know, giving us a, a little hook to pull us in. I knew it. I knew it. That's it. All right, Craig, I'll dismiss your message. I knew it. I knew, I knew you'd have to get to the command part. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it wasn't enough just to remain in His love. I knew it. Jesus, going back to the command stuff, he just blew it. He had a great love story going, Jesus, great job. But now we have commands. I bet his command dwelling place is gonna be so hard to figure out. Are you ready? I bet the next thing he tells us is so complex that we can't even wrap our minds around it. I bet this command is so complex and so challenging and so hard. And the next phrase he says, now remain in my love. And then he goes on in verse 11. He says, I've told you this, that your, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And my command is this. You ready? Here it is. Complex. You ready? Hard to figure out takes a lot of mental capacity my command is this love each other as i have loved you <laughs> come on come on folks aren't you glad Aren't you glad that in this moment, he didn't say, all right, my command is, all right, angels, would you bring out the commands? Come on, come on, come on, roll them out here in front of the disciples. Come on, come on, come on, angels, roll them out here. I want to start with section A over here, one through 10, section B over here, one through 20. I want you to, I want you to bring out all the commands. All right, put all the commands in front of them. No, no, he says, you know what? Here's what you do to follow after my command. All you have to do is remain in my love and love one another as I have loved you you. want to know how my joy is made complete in you? You want to know how to be joyful every day of your life regardless of circumstance? You want to know how to have a joy-filled life? Here's how my joy is made full in you all the time regardless of circumstance. Just keep loving people the way I've loved you. Just keep on loving people that are in your context the way that I have loved you. That's it. You say, that's not it. No way. No way that's it. Cause you look in this bible we, there's all kinds of chapters in the bible pastor craig and there's ephesians and there's colossians and then there's romans and then there's corinthians and james is flat wearing us out with this whole faith without stuff, work stuff is dead he's dad done wearing us out too and and we got to love our our neighbor that way and there's no way that's it there's no way that is it no it's it's not it can't be just love your neighbor no it is it is that easy it actually is that easy. Well, Craig you're you're treading on thin ice telling us that the only way we have to follow the command of Jesus is to love one another. No, I'm not. Go back to the core teaching of the whole entire Jewish faith. It's called the Shema. S-H-E-M-A. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The children and the and the moms would take this scripture and they would put them on their foreheads. They would put them on their doorposts. They tied them around their neck. They tied them around their, their wrist. They walked around. Here's the Shema. This is what the Shema says. It's the heart of Jewish faith. Hero O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, AKA, we're not like other nations. We've got one God. We don't have many gods. We don't have demi Gods. We got one God. And then what is the command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. That's the heart of the Jewish faith. You know what the heart of the Jewish faith is? God is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is Jewish faith in one sentence. God is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Keep the main thing again and again and again and again and again. Keep the main thing again and again and again. And then Jesus is backed into a corner. They put him in the battle of a corner. They, they, they try to test him. The Pharisees come to him and they say, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he's like, uh, you know, I'm a Jewish boy. You're a Jewish boy too. You've already been through bar mitzvah. You are a Pharisee after all. It's not hard. You know what the greatest commandment of the law is? It's Shema. Remember, it was around your wrist for, for five years of your life when you walked around your mom's house? You know what it is? He doesn't, even, he doesn't even bat an eye. He just answers. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Duh, it's easy, Matthew 22, Jesus says. But then he adds an appendage. Jesus adds addendums to the teacher's syllabi. And he says, oh, and like it, love your neighbor As yourself, because now that I've come into the world and I've changed the game and I destroyed all the law that kept you from receiving the grace and the mercy that the Father wants for you, now I have made this thing happen. The way you know and understand, you have to understand to stay in love with God and love people like God loves you. Remain in my love and then love others the way that you've been loved. And he says all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two things. Listen to me. every other commandment in the Bible is there because we didn't love God with all of our heart and we didn't love our neighbors ourselves. Listen, there's not a commandment in scripture that that's not true of. You mean you may prove it? If you're out doing something stupid in a relationship this weekend, with someone you shouldn't do what you're doing with? You're messing around with them. You're being you're doing something stupid you know you shouldn't do. Let me tell you why you're doing it. It's because you're not loving that girl or boy in the same way that Christ loved you. You don't love them that way. And if you're out corrupting your own heart this weekend and you're polluting your own soul with doing things that you know you shouldn't do it's not for any other reason other than you are not remaining in his love and you're not loving yourself the way he loves you because to go out and jack out jack up your life and 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 destroy your life and and hurt your life and bring destruction to your life is not to be free. It's not to have control over your life. No, no. It's actually destroying your life and it's wounding your own heart. And why would you it wound your own heart if you loved yourself the way God loves you? You wouldn't destroy yourself if you loved yourself the way God loves you. And the way that God loves you is a off the scale kind of love. So listen, when you miss loving God and you miss loving others, you rip people off in the shop. When you miss loving God and you miss loving others, you 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 lie to people. When when you miss loving God and you miss loving others, you mess around with them in, in ways that you shouldn't mess around with them. When you miss loving God and you miss loving people, you cheat people. When you miss loving God and you miss loving people, you trample on people. When you miss loving God and you miss loving people, you leave the vulnerable behind. When you miss loving God and you miss loving people, you turn an indifferent shoulder to the vulnerable inside of Atlanta, Georgia. And when you miss loving God and you miss loving others, you don't give generously to anybody around you. Why? Because you're not loving anybody the way Christ loves you. And you have forgotten that as much as Jesus is loved by the Father, you have been loved by Jesus. You have forgotten that the Father's love for the Son is the same love that the Son has for you. And what you didn't do is you didn't remain in it. You didn't hang out in it. You didn't put your roots down in that soil. What you did is you picked up your roots, and you went over somewhere else to another false vine, and you put your vine and your roots down in that vine, and you tried to start sucking your life and your meaning and your happiness and your joy out of some other source that is not the true vine. And let me tell you something. There might be laughs in that vine, but there There's no joy in that vine. There may be joy pleasurable for a season in that vine, but it will leave you empty and destroyed in that vine. There's only one way to have joy complete. There's only one way to find what you're really made for, and that's to remain in Jesus and remain in his love every day of your life. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So I could say circumstances may be up against my family right now, but you know what? I'm in that love. I'm in the love that the Father has for the Son. I'm in that love. I'm in it. And then he describes that love. Look at verse 13. He describes it. Whew. Great love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Paul's Jesus. Leave that up there. Paul's Jesus. What kind of friendship is conditional? All friendship is conditional. Listen to me. God loves you right where you are. But if you want to be a friend of God, anybody want to be a friend of God? You must receive and you must remain in His love and love people the way He loves you. You can't be stealing from your neighbor and be a friend of God. You cannot be messing around with another person and be a friend of God. You cannot be a hellion. You cannot be a hellion, crazy partner and be a friend of God. Listen, you can be loved by God and you can do all those things. You can be loved by God with the same love that the Father has for the Son and do all those things that are rebellious, but you can't be a friend of God and do those things. Just like if someone stabbed you in the back. You would forgive them and you, because of the love of Christ in you, would love them, but you would say to them, you're not going to be friends with me anymore. Our friendship is strained. He's saying, Craig, I want to be a friend of God with the way you become a friend of God. Oh, He loves you. But if you want to be His friend, if you really want to walk with Jesus, if you really want to hang out with Jesus, if you want to let Him reveal to you His ways and His plans for your life, if you really want to see His plan and purpose come to pass in your life, You have to do what he commands. You have to do what he commands. You have to love your neighbor in the same way that he loved you. That's how you become a friend of Jesus. And for 10 years of my Christian journey, I never heard teaching like that. Here's what I heard. You want to hang out with Jesus? You want to learn his plan for your life? Here's what you do. You make a secret place. And you just pray and fast. And you stay there you never move, and God will make it clear to you, not according to this verse, the way you get a friend of God, and God reveals, is when you get up off of your knees, and you find people around you, and you love them with no condition, and you keep loving people, and you keep serving people, and you keep loving people, and you keep serving people, and you keep loving people, and you keep keep serving people, and you become a friend of God, and all of a sudden, the friend begins to make to you the path of life, oh, I'm not underestimating prayer, I'm just saying, it's not alone prayer. Because the command is not pray. The command is love your neighbor as yourself. The command is love others. Keep loving others. Oh, but what do I have to do? What do I have to do? I want, I command you. You want to be my friend? I command you. To, oh, what is all this stuff I got to do? Oh, oh. you want to love others? You, you want to be my friend? You, you need to love others the way I've loved you. Jesus, I can do that. That's simple. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, Yes, I've got 10 hours to live. I'm trying to make this really clear. I'm trying to get to the crux and the core. That's all I'm asking of you. Love other people the way I loved you. That's it. That's the core. And then there's one clarification for the rest of the chapter because I don't have time to read it. There's only about 10 other verses, and here's what those verses say. Jesus says, Just because we come friends, don't think that the world will throw you a party. <laughs> Just watch me tomorrow. If you want to know how the world's going to treat you, just watch me tomorrow morning. They'll put you on a cross and crucify you and kill you and mock you because we're bearing fruit in a war zone. And I'll give you the Holy Spirit and you'll make it through these days. I promise you'll make it through these days. And then he goes in verse 16, look what he says. And I'll call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. And here's verse 16. He blows our minds. I end here. He blows our minds. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit that will last. Your translation may say fruit that remains. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is my command. Love each other what does that mean, Craig? Look at verse 16. What does that mean? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. What, is, what does that mean? It means when we walk into every doorway, every boardroom, every hallway, every neighborhood, every office, every classroom, every gym, every context we find ourselves in, here is who is walking in. Here is who is coming through the door. I am loved by Jesus the same way that the Father loves the Son. Th- th- thank you very much. Uh, you, you businessmen in the room, start your next business meeting that way. Hey, let's start the next business meeting this way. I am loved by Jesus the same way the Father loves me. How about them apples? Don't really do that. We need to be a little more tactful than that. Like the voice of Babylon. I read Daniel chapter one. The voice of Babylon teaches. But you know, you go in. You say, hey, do you have a card? Yeah, I got a card. You got a card? Oh, that card's cool. You got a cool business card. I got a business card. You got a business card. Here's my business card. You me a business card? Yeah. Here's my business card. What does your business card say? You say, my card says I am loved by Jesus the same way the Father loves Jesus. That's, that's your business card, yeah. I'd like to announce to the meeting today. I know we've got a half a million dollar deal on the table today. It's eight o'clock. You all had your coffee. I don't know how the meeting will go today. I don't know if the meeting will go as planned, but I know that I'm loved like five 500- hundred thousand times off of the scale like get off the scale kind of loved by the Father, that's who I am I am loved by the Father I am loved by Jesus the way the Father loves Jesus, that's my identity I'm a friend of God, that's who I am I am a friend of Jesus and I'm chosen by God that's who I am uh, excuse me, like how crazy talk is this? Like, hey, excuse me, if you scoot over, my friend's come with me to the meeting today. I know you can't really see him, but he's actually there. And so uh, we would like to sit down. Oh, who's negotiating this deal today? Oh, me and, me and my friend, the God of the world. He picks you up on a date. You're probably not going to be just worried about your hair, guys. (laughs) You walk into a coffee shop, lady. You say, I don't know who you are, Jojo.
1: But I know who I
0: am. I'm a friend of Jesus, and I'm chosen by God. And I'm loved by Jesus the same way the Father loves Jesus. And so you better treat me with respect, and you better treat me with honor. And if you'll do that, young lady, I guarantee you the guy will be a little less likely to try to do something sexually to you. I promise he will. He'd be a little less likely. That's who I am and my friends here with me, Jesus. he's, He's with me. I'm chosen and appointed by him. He chose you in Christ before the world began. Before anything existed, God chose you and he's appointed you. What does that mean? It means that iCal calendar on my iPhone doesn't run my schedule. Listen, parents, it means that my kids don't run my schedule. My kids don't run my schedule. It means that my administrative assistant doesn't run my schedule. It means that I'm appointed to bear fruit by the Father. You know how this works, right? You wake up in the morning, you got, I've got this meeting at 8.30, i got that meeting at 10 a.m., i got that at 11 a.m. But how many times have you gone through your day, and what you thought the plans were have been totally thrown off? You were supposed to meet with this person at that restaurant, but you ended up meeting at that restaurant with another person. You were supposed to take that flight to Detroit, but you ended up having to take that flight to Charlotte. You were supposed to be here by the end of the night meeting with that family, but you're over here meeting with that family. Why does that kind of stuff happen? Because someone has chosen you and appointed your life. You are not on a random mission. You are a branch in the vineyard of God. So when you miss the next flight, when you miss that train, when you miss the next uh, uh, ride to the next place, God doesn't go, well, you won't bear any fruit today. No, I'm not saying be goofy. Please understand me. I'm not saying go down 75 and be backed up for 30 miles and all the cars are stopped and you roll down your window and say, praise God. I don't get to make it to family dinner tonight. Oh, I'm so excited about this. The Father's appointed me to wait. Woo, I love it because it's Atlanta, Georgia, and one person's wiper blade up off exit 290 flew off on 75. And because we live in Atlanta, Georgia, everybody had to rubberneck that wiper blade. And so now the whole entire 75 is backed up. And so, woo, I, I, honk if you love Jesus, you know, let's get out. Y'all want to have a worship? Anybody get a guitar in the back of their car? Let's, I'm not, I'm not talking about being goofy like this. I'm just talking about doing this. Number one, just show up. Tomorrow morning, show up in your office show up at the gym show up show up at the mediation show up at court and when you do come in with the awareness I'm loved by Jesus the same way the Father loves Jesus and I'm appointed and on mission and I'm a friend of God and He's here with me and He's appointed me to bear fruit today today and I'm completely aware of who I am I know who I am and what if when the traffic backed up on Georgia 400 and you were missing your family dinner you jump over into the HOV lane, the high occupancy vehicle lane, and you just think you're going to get around it. You do that too, I know. And you can try to get around it, but that one day you get in it, there's that guy sitting in the lane, you know, that one called the enforcement guy. And there's no way to argue that, by the way, right? When you get pulled over, you get pulled over that day and you just say, you know what, my friend got real nervous. He jumped into the glove box. I don't know where he went. So I'm having a hard time getting him out. You, you can't argue with that one, you know, like he... But then you take the ticket you get off the exit and when you get off the exit you drive a back road to a part of town that you're not used to driving to and when you do there your gas light dings you think oh man I gotta pull in you pull into a BP BP that you don't know about it's on the wrong side of town the side of town you're not supposed to get out of the BP you start pumping the gas and you're ticked you're standing next to your gas can your, your car you're mad everything within you is wanting to blow up but something else within you is saying remain in me made in my love I've appointed you to bear fruit and right there you look across the pump and there's a woman pumping gas in an old beat up van and she looks like the life has been drained out of her and you know that the ICAL doesn't set your appointment so you step forward one step and you say ma'am I don't know if this is weird or not but uh you look like you're a little down and beat up, and I just didn't know if there was something I could do for you, or if I could pray for you in a certain way. And she's gonna say, uh, um, "Who are who are you, uh, ma'am? I'm I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And if there's anything I know in life that the Father loves Jesus, and Jesus loves me, and He loves you the way that the Father loved the Son. And she may reject you; they rejected Him. But most of the time, at least from my experience, she won't. She will break down in tears. And you'll grab her by the hands. And she'll start biting into fruit. And your day will go from here to here. And you string enough of those days together. And we got fruit stands all over our city. And people start tasting what heaven tastes like. You get home and your wife says, what, what happened? happened? It was a bad day. Man, I got pulled over HOV lane. Couldn't find the guy in the glove compartment. Oh, that sounds horrible. Sound like a bad day. No, it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, I got off on this road that i not supposed to be on, didn't know where I was at. My gas light dinged. I so mad at myself because I didn't get gas in the morning like I was supposed to get gas in the morning, so I pulled into this BP. Ooh, do you even know what happens at that BP? Yeah, that's why in the world did you go to that BP? Well, I went to that BP and when I was there, I was really angry, but then all of a sudden I looked across and there's a girl in across town tonight that's going to bed tonight knowing that God loves her and God saw her and that her life has meaning and her life has significance. And when you start living that way, your life will play on a whole nother level because you've been appointed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.